Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week we are going to talk to Aiden Freshly, Freshly Fishing. And when we get Aiden on here, I will let Aiden spell that out for you because it's not like F-R-E-S-H. It's uh, spelled a little bit differently. So if you're looking up Aiden and you want to get contact information on him, I'll, uh, I'll have him go through all that shortly. But we want to thank everybody for tuning in with another episode this week. We're going to kind of go down a whole few different paths here. We'll talk about his background, talk about some river fishing for late fall, and we'll just get into a general conversation about muskies because that's what we do here. We talk about muskies, hopefully help you put more fish in the net, assuming you're still out fishing, which I hope many of you are. Like I said, the uh, temperatures look like they were going to be a problem here earlier in the month, actually like right around Halloween, and things have kind of mellowed out a little bit, and so everybody should hopefully be able to get the rest of their year in if they're uh, still interested in chasing muskies. We have uh, Brad Hoppy back again this week. So, Brad, it's good to have you back. Hey, thanks, Jeff. You know, it's always good to be here. It's kind of at that time where we're back at daylight savings. It's a little bit easier to get off the water a little bit earlier anyway, even though we are doing a little bit after dark as well. But, yeah, I always love being here. So let me think about this, Brad. This episode here is going to come out probably like right, because we are a little bit ahead on our recording on this one. We're going to be like a week before Thanksgiving, which doesn't seem right at all that we would be talking about Thanksgiving. Because you know what happens right after Thanksgiving, Brad, aside from Christmas? What happens after th- after these, these holidays pass over, Brad? Your favorite time of the year, Jeff. It's show season. So it's coming quick, and it's kind of amazing that uh, we've already blown through a whole year since our last show season. Honestly, when you put the trailer away in March and you go, all right, I won't need to see that again for another, whatever, 10 months, eight or uh, nine months, something like that, you're like, ah, oh, that's going to be forever down the road. And it seemed like literally yesterday that I had a flood in the shop and we unpacked the trailer. So fortunately, we're going to be looking at show season again. I'm assuming, Brad, you will be at, what, how many? Um, three shows this year, probably? We will be doing the Chicago uh, Expo, as well as Milwaukee, and then the Minnesota show. So we do those three. I mean, that's truly the core. I know that there's some other shows out there that, that do a good job as well. But at this point, um, busy time of the year for us, you know, preparing for all the big, giant initial orders of the season. And it makes it tough to to try to pound out all those other shows that are out there. You know, if you're a musky guru and you want to be involved in all those different shows, there is a plenty of different options that you can go out and uh, visit different shows. So, you know, on top of doing the Milwaukee show and the Chicago show, Chicago's first, then we go to Milwaukee in February. And then we do the Minnesota show and we end it with one additional show. We do the Wisconsin Musky Expo up in uh, Rothschild or Wausau, however you want to pronounce it. That's the uh, official end to show season. So you got four stops to check us out starting in January. And if I was really good and really prepared, I would tell you the dates in January, but we'll save that for the episode. I'm guessing it's probably around the 19th to the 21st, roughly, I'm guessing. Verify those dates before you go to, uh, what was the uh, Kane County Fairgrounds? Is that where we're at, Brad? Yeah, I believe that's right. Um, I believe it's the third weekend in January this year. So if Chicago show, I believe is third weekend. Yep, definitely. 
All right. Well, if you're still out chasing muskies and you're still looking for gear or you're listening to this podcast and you need to buy gear for the muskie angler on your Christmas list, make sure you check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. And you can also go and visit Brad and Carrie. And Brad, I won't do half of it for you. I'm going to make you do all the work this week. Where, where are they going to come visit you? <laughs> well, it's a lot of work. It's uh, muskymayhemtackle.com as well as any reputable uh, retailer that's out there, including Team Rhino Outdoors. I mean, I think you're pretty reputable, Jeff. So, yeah, I you don't know. know. I wouldn't go that far. All right. Well, let's not push that up, up issue. But uh, honestly, you know, you can come right to our website. You can uh, basically get on there, pick out any of our standard colors and all the different baits that we make. We are kind of the blade headquarters, if you will, as well as... Um, all the flash boo, marabou, and bucktail hair that you can think of, whether it be safety pin style spinner baits um, or it be just an inline. And uh, that's the gig. I mean, we are the originators of the flash boo to the industry. Pretty proud of that. We've been around since 2005. It's been an exciting, wild ride all the way through. Um, you can go right on the website and actually do some of the uh, custom ties that you would like to pick out yourself by just going through the different flash blue options and picking those out as well as your blade. So check us out, muskymayhemtackle.com. Love to have you as a customer. All right. Well, Aiden is over there by Brad. So Brad, slide over a little bit, make some room for Aiden so that we can talk about uh, freshly fishing. So Aiden, thank you for convincing brad that it was a good idea to have you on the podcast somehow you must have passed his background check fairly well because he doesn't let just anybody on here yeah i guess thanks for having me jeff yeah i've been knowing brad for a little while now and hang out quite a bit it's pretty fun so is it actually really that fun i was gonna go to a different question but then you said it was pretty fun to know brad but is it really that fun to know brad i've known him for a while it's not that fun well, I can tell you this, Jeff, when he is here, we put him to work, that's for sure. But uh, it's pretty remarkable. You know, he just graduated this last spring. And for an 18-year-old, he has a ton of work ethic, and he's got a bunch of fishing knowledge. So hopefully he brings that to the table tonight. All right. So we're going to expect like a two-hour long podcast because his work ethic is strong? Yeah, exactly. I mean, he just won't quit. So... That's that's half the battle, right? I mean, if you got the work ethic, you're going to make it happen. Well, rumor has it that he's like one of the youngest guides to ever grace the uh, Backlash podcast. I believe that's correct. I would assume that it is completely correct. I don't know that there's a younger guide out there right now. I could be mistaken. I've been uh, mistaken a few times. But, you know, if you think about it over the years... It's amazing to think back probably, I don't know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, something like that. Spencer Berman was the young guy. And then all of a sudden, this, this Chase Gibson guy kind of shows up. And, you know, Chase is now 22, and we have Aiden fill in the shoes at 18. So, I mean, that's pretty impressive. And I can't think of another guy that's out there younger than Aiden at this point. But uh, he's put the time in. He's, uh, he's put the work in and has done a pretty good job in the last couple of years of guiding. You know, it's funny. You bring up Spencer and being young. I remember watching him on a very old Bad Fish Outdoors video. I don't remember which one it was, but 
man, he was such a young kid back then. And, you know, now he's got to be, what, 35, 36? Not that that's old, but, I mean, it's old considering when he started. He was Aiden's age. Yeah, absolutely. I, it, it's cool to see some of these young guys that, you know, come upon the sport that they're doing it and they've been doing it before they even started guiding. And, and it, that's pretty interesting. I mean, if you think about it, there's not a lot of big numbers of young people trying to get into the sport and then actually make it a career. So at 18 years old, Aiden is well above and beyond what uh, the expectations are of most youth, I would say in the musky world, that's for sure. And I think it's impressive and uh, I definitely, um, I'll give them a hand in any fashion I can, just because I think it's awesome. I really do. And when you start at an earlier age like that, you end up having just this, if somebody gives you a little bit of a hand at that, you're going to only just compound and grow at a faster rate. And I think, uh, you know, he's got his eyes open, his ears open, he's looking for stuff. He's working with some really good people in the industry, and he's got a really good, bright career ahead of him. All right. Well, Aiden, let's talk about it. Let's talk about what got you started. I mean, at 18 years old, muskies were not on my radar. I want to know, first of all, how did you get like into musky fishing? Like, why, why did you choose that? I mean, nobody should ever in their right minds choose this path, and you've done it at such a young age. Why do you want to go down the path of misery for this long? Well, Jeff, um, I think, so my dad, he wanted to go to Canada and catch a muskie and he never caught one before. And he dragged me along with them. We went to, uh, Lake Wabagoon, uh, near Dryden, Ontario, uh, for the, our first muskie trip. We went there for a week and we never caught one. We saw a few the following year, which I was 13. Then at the time I was 12 when I went to Wabagoon, and then I was 13 when I went to Eagle Lake. And me and my dad went for another week there, and we I caught one on the third day. It was a 45 incher, and I was kind of hooked from there. He caught one. My dad caught one on the fifth day. So we both caught our muskie, our first muskie that same week, and then um, from that same year. We live in near Hudson, Wisconsin, and which is the western side of the state. And we got a few musky lakes around us, and we started going to Bone and Cedar and Deer Lake, which are around us. And we ended up settling on Bone for the first year and caught a few muskies out there. Uh, so when I was 13, and then the following year, I ended up going down. I rode my bike down to the dam. Uh, Hudson is right next to St. Croix River. And I ended up catching a muskie, a 48-inch muskie on a bass bait, fishing bass at the dam. Kind of fell in love with the river from there. You know, Brad, this sounds terrible, but this he's been, since 18 years old, that means that when we started this podcast, he couldn't even drive. That's how long we've been doing this, and that's how young he is. That's pretty incredible to think about. And when you hear somebody that started angling at 12 years old, and I know a few other anglers that have done that as well, 
think about that. You know, 13 years old, he's catching his first fish. Five years later, he's in the boat and he's actually guiding. And those five years, if you think about it, if you're a working man, you're basically just doing your work and you're trying to fish in between. I think one of the the beauties of the whole thing with age is that Aiden has had the time to actually go out and spend the time on the water and really kind of collectively start putting together a process of how to to catch these fish. And and that's kind of the unique part of it. I, I wish I would have had my start. I mean, don't get me wrong, I started fishing at an early age, but I would say that I was handicapped a little bit because one, because of my own father, <laughs> two, because I didn't have that surrounding around me to support me. And so I did the more the bass and pike side of things because it was more exciting. And uh, I found the muskies again later in life. But, you know, it, it's it's remarkable how things can happen and, and transgress to the levels that, uh, you know, you're seeing Aiden, an angler at 18 years old, kind of uh, achieve. All right, Aiden, so let me ask you, is this something that you do on a uh, full-time basis? And let's talk about, you know, from uh, 13 years old to 18 years old to now being a guide in the muskie industry. Like, how did you go about it? How did you attack it? How did you even know how to get started doing what you're doing? Jumping back to, like, having time on the water, too, it was pretty nice. Once I caught that uh, fish on the river, I was riding my bike down at the time, and my mom would pick me up during the evenings after she got done with work. And uh, so I was down there almost every day uh, after that fishing for him. So I got to learn the dams really well. Then it was during COVID times, uh, I had no school. So then I was down there every day during the fall and the springs and everything. So I had a lot of time there. But um, going into how I got into it, I just kept, kept fishing and fishing. And then um, after that, I was fishing the river a lot. Uh, St. Croix River and met Matt Seifert on the river. Ended up fishing with him for a day. He kind of took me under his wing and helped me kind of learn the ropes of guiding. So I have a lot to thank to Matt there. And uh, met Brad through Matt and met some other amazing people along the way. So he's the uh, first disciple of Matt Seifert. That should make some of our listeners happy. I do think that he's a, a fairly popular guest that we have around here. So uh, I'm assuming you you tagged along with Matt and tried to pick up as much as you could, as fast as you could to shorten this learning curve? Yeah, um, for sure. I got to spend probably a good half season with him. Uh, I want to say is last year now. So yeah. I got to spend a good amount of time with Matt and he helped me learn a lot and got to take in as much as possible there. All right. Well, so let's talk about it. You know, what, what can you say is the biggest takeaway that you got from uh, hanging out with Matt for a half a season? My biggest takeaway from being with Matt would be by far, um, helping me learn side imaging. Um, it's a big part of my, how I've been successful and catching a ton of fish and he's, taught me a ton about side imaging all right so side imaging is obviously a very useful tool are you using forward-facing sonar that's a hot topic these days seems like it's uh, almost like taboo but I, I don't quite know if i understand that but you know whatever to each their own right 
Yeah, um, I am doing a little bit of forward-facing sonar using it here and there. Um, I have it on a pole and dropping it down when I'm doing a lot of just fishing break lines. Um, and then trolling, especially trolling, is really beneficial. Watching where fish are coming up, rising on baits, and then uh, being able to come back at different times of the day where those fish have followed trolling baits. Yeah, I definitely think that the forward-facing sonar is, it's pretty simple, right? It's, a, it's another tool that anglers can use. And when you're using that as a tool, there's different methods, right? I mean, the nasty side to forward-facing uh, sonar is plain and simple. Are people targeting just a fish, right? And then there's the other aspect of it, of using it as a tool so that you have a reference. Hey, you got a follow coming in. Hey, there's a bunch of bait over here. Hey, we have a follow trolling. It comes with responsibility. That's nothing new. I haven't said this. I, I've said it multiple times throughout this whole podcast over the uh, last year or whatever. If you're specifically targeting one fish, it comes with responsibility. And what I mean by that is if you are targeting fish, in my opinion, 15 feet or deeper, and, and at times of the year, it might even be less than that, say 12 feet, you might have some issues with that particular fish. And I learned that 25 years ago, trolling. If you're trolling and you're running baits deep and it's the middle of summer, you could potentially have an issue because you're calling fish up from way, way too deep. You know, it comes with responsibility and that responsibility is, hey, that fish is 20 feet down. I'm going to leave it alone. And so that's my opinion. And everybody's going to have a different style or a different opinion on that. That's the way I look at it. And I, I think that as muskie anglers, we all have to have that side to us that it's more about the fishery than it is about the fish picture. And so that's where I would come off on the forward-facing sonar. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, there's some ugly to it. And, but it can be used in so many good ways. It's hard to, to say that you shouldn't be using it and utilizing it as a tool. So, Brad, this, would be, this question would be directed more towards you. I mean, Aiden can answer it too, depending on how much experience he has. But, like, let's just say your average angler, how much time do they need to spend with a forward-facing sonar unit to become fairly proficient at it? No, that's a really good question, Jeff. But I mean, if you look at somebody like Aiden, his age, and a lot of the younger anglers, I mean, I would say 25, 30 years old and younger, uh, they're probably going to elevate to the game really quickly. And the reason that they are is because maybe video games, um, they have a little bit more open mind than, say, an angler my age that's 50-some years old. Plain and simple, if you use your imagination and you look at that particular fish on forward-facing sonar, you're going to realize, hey, that's a muskie, right? I mean, it's pretty simple. If you utilize the simplicity of what you're looking at, you're going to have success immediately. You know, and if you use it as a tool, like I use it, I, I run it 45 degrees off the boat. My guys on the front of the boat are reeling in and retrieving baits. I can see the fish following it instantly right i'm trolling i'm looking at one or two of my trolling baits behind the boat you will see that fish come up and start following that bait 
you'll you'll identify and realize what the, you're looking at relatively quickly. So, Brad, you know, one thing we've never really talked about a lot on the forward-facing sonar part of it is, are you running this thing in perspective mode or, um, I don't know, what's the other mode? Down mode, I think, or something like that? Well, there's forward, there's down, and then there's perspective. And perspective is going to give you a wider range of viewing. I personally have never used perspective. If you're fishing in shallower water, perspective might be the answer for you, right? So one of the things to consider when you're looking at forward-facing sonar is that you have two different beams, right? You have a narrow and you have a wide field of view. So when you're in forward or down, you're looking straight out off the boat in forward view. You have a narrower field of view left to right, but you're going to have a wide field of view in the depth column. So zero to 50, say, zero to 30 you're going to have a wider view. When you're in perspective, you're going to have, it turns 90 degrees. And so you're going to have less water column. So zero to 10, zero to 20, something like that. And you're going to have this huge wide field of view with wise. So those are definitely things to consider when you're setting up your forward facing sonar, if you will. So perspective is going to give you the width of a bunch of water, but not the depth. And when you're forward or looking down, you're going to have that field of view where it's narrower on the width, but a lot more in the depth. All right, so Aiden, let's talk a little bit about your use of you know, side imaging versus forward-facing sonar. Why don't you talk a little bit about how you utilize each one in a day-to-day situation? Yeah, so as Brad mentioned, um, when I'm fishing like a weed line or a brake line, um, I'm having my pull down facing it towards the front of the boat or the front person's line. It's usually it's either a client or a friend or my dad watching their baits come in, seeing follows, and then also being able to be the right distance from the weed line and looking ahead too. You can see it just helps with boat control um, compared to side imaging when it's at the back of your boat. It's, it's coming from the actual forward-facing sonar you can see ahead of your boat so you can see what's coming instead of what's already at the backside of your boat for say side imaging i'm using that a lot at night too um for seeing follows that's one of the really big advantages of that i think it's a must um swinging coming in or when you're casting and then swinging your bait by the transducer and seeing um if you mark a fish um, when on your side imaging, when you go by your transducer, um, just keep going with that, uh, figure eight and oftentimes you can get it to go. Um, I'm also using side imaging, uh, to check some sand stuff, uh, driving at 3.3 to 3.5 miles an hour, um, and marking fish and then coming back and fishing those fish if there's enough of them. Uh, just so you can limit, so like on leech, um, there's miles of sand and you can, instead of fishing all that, I could basically fish it at three to four miles an hour and just mark those fish and then come back to those fish either at the right time or just go right back to them and start fishing them. I think, you know, there's some confusion because it's live. 
<laughs> one of the things that you think about when you look at forward facing, it's live, right? And so when you, you mix in the live side versus, say, a side scan, side view, side imaging, however you want to call it or label it, you can utilize that as the same exact tool. Maybe the side imaging is not going to be live per se, but it gives you some history and those, those fish will follow in and you'll see them. A great example is if you go on our Instagram or Facebook, Mayhem's 10,000 Cast, Chase did a, a post, I think it was about a year ago, and you will see transition. You think there's six, seven, I don't remember what the count was, but you'll think that there's six fish sitting by the edge of the boat. But what that is, is it's all the images of those fish and the history of those fish, or that one fish, the history of that one fish going around in a figure eight. Both tools can be utilized in the same fashion. And I think the cool thing about some of the younger anglers that I'm fishing with is they realize what's actually going on, Jeff. And I, I think a lot of us older anglers, unless we really think outside the box, we struggle with some of that. Yeah, I would say we do. I mean, some of, some of us probably do. You know, Brad, like I, I kind of feel fortunate that I'm in that age where like when I was growing up, I mean, quite honestly, I'll, I'll say I, like I feel really fortunate about my childhood in general. Like we were kind of in the age where Nintendo and video games were still a thing, so we weren't completely left out of that. Computers were still a thing, you know, not like not as heavily as what they were used now. And you know, so we were ex we did get some exposure to technology, so we're not like that stuff isn't completely like foreign to us, but yet we're not so absorbed in uh, you know technology that we didn't go outside to play when we were younger too. So we had that, that kind of dynamic to it. And I feel fortunate, you know, whereas if, you know, we'll use my parents, for example, like their technology was really nothing. Like there was no such thing as a computer. They used typewriters, that kind of stuff. And so they weren't exposed to it. So some of that stuff now is, is a little bit different to it. You know, it's like that older generation doesn't necessarily, or, or didn't anyways, pre COVID, they, a lot of them didn't shop online, but now they were kind of forced to, and now they realize how, how easy it is and, and comfortable it is, you know? So I feel a, a fortunate to grow up with the way we did or the way I did anyways, cause I'm a, a little younger than you, not a lot, but you know, where we had some of that exposure to technology at a younger age. Yeah, I won't disagree. I, I kind of a joke. I mean, but it's, it's true. I think the first time I ever seen a computer, I was in third grade. Okay. We've seen it for a day. And then the next time I touched a computer was probably in college. Think about that. But honestly, uh, one really good way, and I literally called Matt Seifert and I hired him because I wanted him to show me side imaging. And the reason I did that is because I didn't want to be left in the dust. And so I hired Matt, spent a day with him. Literally, we really didn't fish a whole lot. I, I wanted to learn side imaging. And that's the beauty of hiring a guide. So you're going to cut your learning curve completely. And it, it blows my mind when I start talking to some of the older musky anglers. Some of them are involved in the industry, Jeff. And, and it blows my mind that some of them had just now started getting side imaging in their boat. And I'm just thinking to myself, man, you know, what planet are you living on? I, side imaging has been out there. I think in 06 was the first side imaging units that I had. And I had two boats at the time. I had a 620 tiller and I had a 621. 
that I was running and I put Lawrence in one boat and I put Humminbird in the other boat. And the reason I did that is I wanted to learn both platforms and I wanted to see which one was better. And that was in 2006. I will honestly say at that time, the first versions of side imaging was nowhere where it is today. And you could talk gens, you can talk Gen 2 Humminbird. In my opinion, Gen 2 Humminbird is still the very best side imaging that I've ever seen. Now, you go into Gen 3 and Gen 4, yeah, they cranked up the power. And you go into Garmin, which I'm running today, it's probably more similar to 3 or 4 in the bird side. But honestly, it, it's mind-boggling to think about that. I mean, we're how many years later? 2006, now we're at 223, uh, 2023. It, it's, it's mind-boggling to think of where we've come, and now the controversy is all on live. So if you look at all of that, if you're not going to keep up with the times, you might struggle. I'm not going to say you can't catch fish because you can catch fish. I mean, history will, will help provide you some fish in the boat every year. But if I can benefit myself by learning more technology as it progresses, the only thing that's going to happen is I'm going to learn and learn and learn. And I think learning is a key point in success in the sport. All right. Well, speaking of learning, let's talk a little bit about river fishing. We've kind of touched on a, f- a few different things, some of which we didn't necessarily even plan to talk about. But let's talk about rivers and your your background on rivers. You know, Aiden, I mean, you want to talk a little bit about this time of year. You know, what are things that people should be targeting this time of year? Uh, one of the things we talked about was, you know, the importance of water temperatures. Do you have a, like a kind of like a seasonal breakdown of how you go about things with the, uh, with the different water temperatures or the rising or falling of water temperatures? Yeah. So on, I'm mostly fishing the St. Croix river, which is quite a bit larger river system. I would say we have a lot of super deep water and big basins. It's fishes a lot like a lake with current basically the season. I would say normally like right now, Probably starting third week of October, uh, usually I start to switch more to some bigger rubber baits um, fishing because shad push up and I start fishing the shad and I like a lot bigger profile baits um, when I'm fishing in those shad balls personally. And um, But this season it's been, we got our one cold, our super cold week and it seemed to push those fish in and we caught fish when they pushed in and they haven't they pushed back out and you get like the one or two days that those shad push in um every once in a while on those few cold days but it just seems to be staying warmer this year looking like a week in advance it's still staying really warm right now those water temps are when i was last out there out there they were at 53 degrees and i prefer to get into fishing the shad balls and fishing a lot of uh, shad based stuff, rock piles. When it hits that 48 degree mark, 49, just started to get in the 40s um, until basically ice or the end of the season. Normally the ice will hit um, come mid-December, but usually we can't fish till then, or well, we stop fishing December first when our season ends out there um it's considered with uh minnesota water so 
that's when our season ends. Um, and then before that, I'm fishing a lot of coontail mostly. Um, those fish seem to sit in the coontail. Um, we don't have a lot of cabbage out there, if any cabbage. Um, it's a lot of like river, uh, we call it just like river grass. Um, it's just basically a grass, but they seem to like the coontail that's sitting in those, uh, in that grass. And that's kind of our cabbage and fishing blades usually until blades, top water, and then whatever else in between, usually to third week October, but this year is a lot later. You know, Aiden, on these river systems, is there a certain water temperature where you find that getting these fish to go on artificial lures is, is very difficult and you switch over to suckers or is suckers not something that you really mess around with much? I personally don't mess around with suckers very often. I think I've done it. I've only done it three times in my life and didn't have much success. Didn't have any success really. And, uh, just kept fishing artificial and have been that way ever since, I guess. That's interesting. I mean, I, I, I understand it, but it's just, it's different for me to, you know, hear of a river angler. I mean, obviously guys fishing lakes or anglers fishing lakes use them a ton, but you always hear, you know, river anglers using them even more, it seems like. And for you not to use one at all, I mean, that's, that's great. Especially if you're catching them artificials, it's way more fun. Yeah, it's super fun. You know, so Aiden, obviously, you know, this time of year, is are dams something that you're involved in too? I mean, I hear anglers going and hitting up four different dams in a day if it's at, you know, if it's possible, depending on how their area is. That something you do too? Yeah, for sure. We have two dams on the St. Croix River where I fish. I fish from Bayport down to Prescott. And then, um, we also have one bigger power plant, um, the XL plant there, and that kind of fish is similar to a dam, basically what it is. The, main, the dams are pulling in water from the sides, and so that shore, those shoreline, that's all rock, and all that shoreline is really good fishing, all the shad, when they push up into the dams, which is usually around that. 49 degree marks but when you get those cold front days they also push up casting that shoreline and then going into the dam uh you'll see there's the on our dam specifically there's one usually one big uh stall that's open uh pushing out a ton of water and that has a basically a big blowhole there and then at the end is rock and all the way around that blowhole is rock and all the shad and muskies pile up onto that and we fish usually deuces um preferably the monster or husky sized fishing that shad just basically targeting the shad balls that deuce i prefer that one just because it has the three tails and with all that current in there it's constantly that bait is constantly having movement um even when you're slacklined and such um and then fishing in the actual gate that's open with all the current super fast current um switching to more of a weighted style bulldog and um so i can get down into the current and hopefully get past hopefully that bait gets past the current into some more slack water which is under all that fast moving current 
And usually once, if you can get your bait under all the fast moving current, you can get bit in the slack current in like the 30 foot hole that they're sitting in under all that current coming in above them. If that makes sense. Yeah, I definitely get it. I fish rivers a little bit, so kind of understand it there. You know, for anglers that don't fish rivers quite a bit, like this time of year, I mean, what are things that you're looking for? Is it your typical stuff? You still just looking for eddies and, and deep holes and deep pockets, that kind of stuff? Yeah, so just like um, fishing it, well, fishing rivers in general this time of the year, um, I'm doing a lot of super deep, um, like sand shorelines. And then just your like neck down areas, your deeper neck down areas, we do. We have these neck down areas with like sand flats and then there's like the main channel that runs through them and those main channels will push up um, with a lot of shad on top of them when that water temp hits around 40 and then we start fishing there and fishing a lot of deep rock and rock flats basically. So there's marinas, big marinas with um, like rock, uh, man-made rock walls. And then there's like these sand flats with like miscellaneous gravel. So we fish a lot of that rock shoreline that's man-made. And then we turn around and fish inside out and fish like casting out into deeper water um, on just like that random gravel stuff that's out there. And a lot of times those shad will push up there too. How are you, I mean, are you utilizing your electronics to find those balls of shad is that is that part of the key to this whole equation yeah so um going off of that it's a lot of so for those sand flats um where the channels are it's almost all mostly side imaging um just driving through the channel um you can mark all your shad see if they're up there and then go back with, on it if you mark all the bait there you'll just go and fish through it. And then if it's not there, go to the next one. And then for like fishing those rock walls and then fishing like the dam is usually, I have my live scope pulled down and I'm fishing it. And if I mark them, then I'm fishing more of it, I guess. Aiden, the other side to that is the currents. And I think Jeff was talking about that with eddies and, you know, wing dams and that kind of stuff. How much does current play a factor into your fall progression? You know, when we get into this time of the year in November, are you looking for some of those eddies? Are you looking for some of the changes in, in current to catch some of those fish and utilizing the bait that you're looking for on your electronics? Going back to, well, the neck down areas are going to have your faster current. That usually is uh, pushing at like 0.5 on the St. Croix River. Depending on where you go, some places are a little bit higher, a little bit lower in some places. And I feel like that has a pretty big factor into that. I don't know if that's what pushes those shad to move up there a lot more, too. Um, just like the dam would be, I guess, with all that current coming in there. I've noticed um, a lot of it when it comes to actually like fishing your bait. It makes a difference at certain times of the year with trolling, going downstream versus upstream. Um, it seemed like this year we got a lot more going downstream. That, that is interesting. And, uh, you know, you can talk about downstream, upstream um, catches. And I will say this, over the years, I do believe that going with the wind, I catch more fish than I do going against the wind. 
And so that's the same thing with current in a river system, right? And you're, you're just saying that right now. Going with the current, you're catching more than you do against the current. So is that something that you've seen for years or is that something that you just seen this year? How, do, how does that work and equate? That seemed like it's been that way because trolling another spot in past years, it seems like you catch more going downriver. Um, it just seems like those most of these spots I'm trolling are neck down areas, so it's a lot faster current than the like main basin areas, which is like at a point two to point three in the bigger side of the water. Yeah, it seems like those neck down areas, the better trolling would be downstream. Do you see that over by you, Jeff? I mean, on some of the lakes that you're fishing, do you see it on the rivers that you're fishing? Well, you know, Brad, it's kind of odd because I would say that I don't, I don't know if I could say it either way. Like I used to fish the river in Green Bay quite a bit. We use that for example, trolling. And so it flows uh, south to north and we'd be traveling south quite a bit. So we're going against the current and you know, a lot of those fish would position themselves against like, like bridge pilings and they'd hide behind them or whatever. So it'd be like, if the bait zipped past them, you know, their nose up into the current. So the bait zips over their top of their head essentially, and they catch it. It seems like we had quite a bit of success doing it that way. But I mean, I, I can't say that I've, I'm necessary. I, I know of a few examples where we did that, but I can't say that I, I, I'm caught more or a lot more one way or the other, really. I can definitely say that when I'm fishing lakes, cause that's what I do. Um, not that I haven't been on rivers, but Lake fishing, whether it be in June, doing the open water trolling side, or it be in the fall, I will say that it seems like the fish are always looking in the direction of the wind. And if you bring that bait over top of them, they're more apt to eat going face to them versus tail to them. And so, and that kind of coincides with what Aiden just said on current. So definitely something to think about i have noticed in walleye fishing as well if when we were walleye fishing all the time 25 30 years ago you know we did a lot of drift fishing and the reason we did that drift fishing is plain and simple you're going with the current and then we'd pick up our baits and run back up and drift again so it's definitely something to think about and, and you'll see that happen when you're out on the water and pay attention to those little details and it's going to put more fish in the boat you know, so in at a younger age, you know, you still have a lot to accomplish in musky fishing. Why don't you talk about maybe what you think one of your better accomplishments is so far in your young musky angling career? Well, I'll step in here real quick, Jeff, because Aiden might not say this, and he he's going to keep it to his cuffs, right? He's not going to expel on some of his accomplishments maybe as easy, easily as I can for him. But Aiden, in 2022 and 2023, won the Frank Schneider tournament up on the Leech area. Now, when I say Leech area, there's multiple lakes that you can fish during the Frank Schneider tournament series. So, but he won two years in a row. So he won at 17, he won at 18. Huge accomplishment. I mean, there's a ton of anglers in, in that tournament and uh, definitely deserve a good pat on the back for that. And maybe, Aiden, you can kind of expel on what that all involved. 
I think the first, the 2022 year, um, we went, me and my buddy, um, we went out there and we, our first day, we did not do very good at all. Um, we ended up catching one short one and then going the next day, we changed our game plan and um, fished some spots that um, we knew had fish on them prior to that and got the job done there. And um, the following year, this year, um, I went and used my side imaging and uh, spent two days out there side imaging basically most of the entire lake and uh found some fish found a few fish and got the job done there too um all burning bucktails and um just all shallow water stuff three to seven feet of water roughly i think one of the cool things is is that aiden was able to take upon the very first cold front of the season you know that end of august time frame we've talked about on the podcast going into the September time frame, that initial cold front a lot of times pushes a lot of fish shallow. And basically, he capitalized on that particular bite and was able to, to make it happen two years in a row by utilizing speed as well as the shallow water to make these fish bite. And it's pretty exciting for me. <laughs> and no persuasion here, but Aiden did it the first year on 10 nines and then this year he did it on triggers and rabbit squirrels. So it's pretty cool to see how that all kind of was utilized with musky mayhem tackle. And, and it's quite the accomplishment to win two years in a row in a tournament where I don't even know how many anglers are in that tournament anymore, Aiden, but it, it's a lot. Yeah. I think this year, I believe it was roughly in the lower 300s, I believe. I'm not sure what the year prior I think the to year that before was. was more, more, honestly. But um, what a great tournament series, and, and they do a really good job with it. And it's multiple lakes. It, it's kind of a, a unique, cool platform, and definitely something people should look at if they are interested in fishing a tournament, because I think it's it's more about the fun than it is necessarily just the fish, but still at that, a huge accomplishment to win two years in a row. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's something that, uh, he should certainly be proud of and, uh, you know, certainly a stepping stone to, uh, continue the rise of his musky angling career. So you know, definitely uh, congratulations on that. It's certainly not an easy accomplishment. That's for sure. Yeah. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate it. All right. So Aiden, I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to talk fishing with us. But before we get out of here, we have to give you a chance to talk about your guide service, Freshly Fishing, talk about where people can find you, and more importantly, talk about how they how they spell it so they get it right if they're checking out Freshly Fishing. Yeah, so for the spelling, it's F-R-O-E-S-C-H-L-E. Um, not your typical way people would probably figure spelling Freshly. But, um, and then you can find me on Instagram or Facebook at Aiden, A-Y-D-E-N, uh, underscore Freshly, that same spelling, F-R-O-E-S-C-H-L-E. And, um, or you can give me a call if you need to contact me at 715-410-4949.
All right. Well, Aiden, I want to thank you again for taking time out of your schedule to talk musky angling with us and our musky fishing with us. And I want to thank our listeners for tuning in again every single week for, I think we have the most loyal listeners in all of podcasting. You, uh, you musky nuts tune in every single week to, uh, listen to whatever we're talking about, whether it be, you know, trolling or casting or late fall fishing, it doesn't matter. You guys are checking it out all the time. So we can't thank you enough for all the support this year. You know, it's just the, uh, we're one week away from Thanksgiving and it's kick off to the holiday season. And we, we just want to thank you again for without you, uh, this podcast would cease to exist. So thanks again. And we'll see everybody again with a new episode next week. <laughs>